This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal Pim, pam, pum Is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm now fully vaccinated. Congratulations. Thanks. Felt very weird on Saturday. I got my second one on Friday evening and felt a bit... A bit, Did you? Yeah, a bit... Can't quite describe it. I wasn't ill, but I was like... I got up to do the blog on Saturday morning, and it took me about five minutes to work out the keyboard, the, 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 the typing keyboard. I was just like one character over. For about five mm. minutes when I was typing, which was a bit disconcerting, but eventually yeah, they don't I list that among the side effects. Weirdly, no, but they don't. It's a new one. I've discovered you. it. Yeah, your typing may become impaired due to this but, Pfizer vaccine. But it was temporary. Thankfully, it was temporary, and I, I figured goodness. it out. You know, so uh, I'm feeling uh, pretty pretty happy about that situation. How are you? I'm good. I'm still only half vaccinated. Um, but I am being, for work reasons, tested so often at the moment. I mean, I, I, it's a nice, reassuring feeling. I get tested basically mm. every other day. Um, so at least I know that I'm all right. That- but yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I managed to... little tip for people in the UK, actually. Okay. I had a booking for my second vaccine in August, and I went into the NHS's online system, 
and you can check before you cancel it if you're able to move it forward. Right. They, they show you the available appointments um, before you cancel. So I was actually able to move it forward like three or four weeks. So it's, my second one's now just in a couple of weeks. So okay. if you are in a hurry to get yourself vaccinated, you can go on the NHS website and see if you can get it even sooner. There, there you go. Are you having to get like the gigantic Q-tip up your nose test all the uh, time? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do you get it's used to it? both tonsils um, and one nostril. Yeah. yeah, I'm completely used to it at this point. Right. I've even had to do quite a few on myself as well. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no thanks. No. They just say push until you feel resistance. That's what the instructions say. <laughs> oh, no. I know it's not a nice oh, phrase. No, no, not at all. So, look, how have you been uh, enjoying the the football since last we spoke? Quite a bit going on at the Euros. Yeah, well, it feels in a way like the tournament proper has started, doesn't mm. it? Because the group stage, while there was plenty I enjoyed about the group stage, it was quite difficult to go out. I think. Mm. Um, and now it's very easy to go out, as <laughs> the Netherlands found out last yeah, night. Yeah, that's true. I can't, who, what channel was I streaming? I can't remember. I think it was Tony DiRigo, who was the okay. co-commentator on whatever channel this was. So uh, he, he said in the opening couple of minutes of his commentary, it was something like, well, one of these teams is going to go out today. That's just the way it works with knockout yep. football. It's going to be hard <laughs> luck for one of them. I was thinking, thanks for explaining that to us so clearly so early on. Just hadn't quite got that. <laughs> it was quite funny, though. It was sort of go, go. And there's a man. He has two legs with which he walks. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is uh, rather stating the obvious. But I think... It has added some jeopardy to the mm. games that was perhaps missing. I watched most of the football this weekend. I think I watched all the knockout games. I'm just reflecting on it now. So Saturday, Wales got absolutely battered oh, by Denmark. They really did, didn't they? They yeah. really did. I, you know, I'm an Aaron Ramsey fan, as you know. I like him and I wish the best for him. Mm. But um, they were well, well short against Denmark. Yeah, they were poor, and Denmark were very good. They were very yes, good. Yes, in fairness, they yeah. were. I mean, was it Kasper Dolberg who came into mm. their team and scored a couple of really, really nice goals? First goal in particular was brilliant. And they, they, they look good. And they, you know, obviously they're the kind of neutrals favourite, aren't mm. they, given that, everything that went on with Christian Eriksen. I mean, they've come from unlikely an unlikely scenario to win a European Championships before. So I guess... Write them off at your peril. Yeah, that's true. And then Italy versus Austria in the in the evening. Yeah, um, I thought Austria, you know, in normal time, um, mm. they looked dangerous. And they scored a goal that was ruled out for VAR, Arnautovic with a header. Um, and I think if they'd got, if that had gone in... Mm. I, was quite, I was quite torn by that decision because from a purely footballing spectacle perspective spectacle yeah. perspective but you know it would have made that game really interesting had Austria gone ahead had that goal stood I mean it was offside I guess by the letter of the law and um, you know the other part of it was I did not want Arnautovic to be happy 
in any way. It's conflicting, isn't it? Because Austria were theoretically the underdogs there, but so you sort of root for them a little bit, but then you look at Arnautovic and you're like, yeah, I don't, no. I'm not sure about this. Yeah. I don't want him to be happy. My my desire for him to be unhappy outweighed my desire to see whatever it might have been, half an hour of Italy trying to break down uh, an Austrian side, who were, I thought, really impressive defensively. I thought they worked really, really hard. I'm not sure Italy's attacking quality is quite there. Um, mm. They seem a little bit average up front, you know, but um, into extra time and they scored a couple of really good goals. Chiesa's goal was was really lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, no, nothing average about that one. I mean, what he does there is, is so difficult. I think he takes it basically on his face and then the way he controls the ball by mm. sort of stamping it into the ground... It's a really, really stunning goal, that one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I made my piece with the, their progression, thanks to the quality of their goals. And then we came to yesterday, which was um, the Czech Republic, mm. uh, causing a bit of an upset, I think, by beating the Netherlands 2-0. Yeah, I mean, I guess before the game it might have been an upset, 10 men... Uh, Holland, though, yeah. you know, it makes life very difficult for you. Any, any, I'm not going to say complaints, but I mean, you can't really argue with a red card when you do that, can you? No, no, the deliberate handball, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, no, I think, I think it's kind of fair enough. Mm. I think it's kind of fair enough. I've always it's, had a soft spot for the Netherlands when it comes to international tournaments. Just going back to the to the World Cup final in 1978, when I wanted uh, Holland to beat Argentina and they didn't, and uh, I've always had this kind of soft spot for them. But I didn't realise Ruud van Nistelrooy was part of the the setup. Yeah, uh, do you know what I found that surprising? There've been a few people sort of appearing on coaching staff. Viali, like, Viali for yeah. Italy. I was like, oh yeah. And he's got like a really strange um, job title. Uh, I, I was looking into it last night and he's called like, it's not like, he's he's delegation chief for the Italian national team. And apparently this is kind of a historic role that's always been there. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's sort of like, basically he's just like around to like chat to people and help to stuff. It's just to sort of make use of his experience. Right. Um, but yeah, interesting to see him turn up on the sidelines. Van Nistelrooy, of course, for Holland. So maybe a bit of the Arnautovic effect there. Yeah. Even if you had a soft spot for Holland, you couldn't quite commit to it. Yeah, I know he I know he played for Chelsea, and that's a black mark on anybody's career and character and everything else. But I always liked Viali. I thought he was uh, you yeah. know, one of the good guys. Um, I think he is. And he's yeah. had a, a difficult time of late, hasn't he? He's, um, he's been, had cancer, he's but had I cancer, think he yeah. recently got the all clear. So, right. Um, that's great news. But, mm. yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a great Dutch side, you know, in terms of... I think you mentioned about Italy's attack. Mm. I think the Dutch attack is not... You know, you mentioned Van Nistelrooy, but obviously you think of Van Persie, you think of Van, Van Basten, Cliver. Yeah. They've had some incredible forwards, and I don't think, you know, either Depay or former Arsenal man Daniel Marlon are quite at that level you know no. um i did I enjoy mean, go, on, I, go on i i did enjoy the goalkeeper uh stecklenburg yeah for the first goal it was classic oh shit our goalkeeper hasn't turned up let's put a center half in goal goalkeeping <laughs> yeah there was <laughs> having, a lot of that having been that center half on more than one occasion i can testify to this uh with with some assurance yeah he was he 
He sort of like got caught, didn't he? He mm. went to his back post, the ball got hit. He was nowhere, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, if he'd been wearing an orange kit, you would have just thought that's just another outfield player. <laughs> um, his hands weren't even really raised looking back at it now. Yeah. So that wasn't a great moment for him. And Patrick Schick got the second, I think, and he mm. keeps scoring goals. Might be might be the top goal scorer in the competition, actually. Yeah. I mean, well, what do you what do you make of him? He seems like the classic this guy's doing it at a at an international tournament, we should buy him kind of player. Mm. He's the he's mm. the standout guy so far in this this Euros. Uh, maybe with the the guy that you were you were uh, enjoying last night, Renato Sanchez. You know the yeah. two guys that people are going, oh yeah, we could have a we could have a bit of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his Bundesliga record last last season. He scored nine goals in twenty starts, which isn't isn't terrible mm. for Bayer Leverkusen. You know, roughly one in two um, starts or appearances. It, starts. He made twenty nine appear nine substitute appearances as well. Mm. Um, I, I, listen, he's having a good tournament. I, I would be lying if I said I had any idea what he was like across the course of a season. Mm. Um, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, a tournament is a little run of five or six games and sometimes a player can just hit a vein of form in that. And and maybe playing for his international team yeah. is set up to suit him more. Um, but you can't argue with the amount of goals he scored nor in some instances the quality I mean obviously oh, the one against Scotland yeah. is <laughs> I loved the finish yesterday though I lo- it was a yeah. really nice goal that one but the finish uh, just the way Guy did that with his left foot um, was great and like maybe you know this is his equivalent of you know a Joe Willock at Newcastle loan spell who knows maybe maybe I mean by Leverkusen might, yeah they're probably mm. thinking this this might be useful for us if someone needs a striker towards the end of the window mm. um it is a nice finish at the near post, almost sort of Giroud-esque, the second one, you know, mm. just kind of arrives and, and, and bends it into the near post. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of players who have emerged in tournaments that have gone on to prove worthwhile. I mean, the great example from an Arsenal perspective is Gilberto Silva, really, who certainly none of us yeah, yeah, knew that's about true. Um, prior to 2002, and who I think... Arsenal were aware of but certainly accelerated their interest on the back of his performances in that competition um, and turned out to be an invincible on the mm. other hand you had Cleverson who United went for had been you know kind of similarly impressive around the international setup and never really delivered against that so it's always a risk when you see someone doing well in the tournament I mean you know I like the look of Renato Sanchez who played for Portugal uh, against Belgium but I did read last night um, from somebody in France, and I forgive me, I forget who, that Lille were looking for 75 million euros <laughs> for him in January. Um, yeah. And that that price is unlikely to have dropped. So when I said on Twitter, I think he's my kind of tournament crush, a lot of people were like, yeah, why don't we buy him? And I guess, I guess that's your answer. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the thing you would say is that like, there are in the transfer market opportunities, things that happen outside. And I say this very loosely, uh, assuming that such a thing exists at Arsenal, outside the plan and the strategy that you have put in place, right? So you've got mm. your, you've got your recruitment, uh, 
your one, two, three, fours, whatever it might yeah. be for each position, right? And you're going, okay, right, we, we've targeted these guys, we've scouted them, we've got the background on them, we've done the due diligence on their character and things like that. But at a tournament, uh, a player can sort of crop up and become an option where he wasn't one before. Definitely. And I do think that's, I wrote about that a couple of weeks ago, that a transfer window, it is a lot about planning and it is a lot about preparation, but it's also about improvisation because mm. sometimes the, the targets that you want, you can't get. Or sometimes, as you say, a player comes onto the radar or comes onto the market mm. that you weren't expecting. I mean, think of 2013, Meza Ozil becoming available at the last minute in the window. Mm. It's not what Arsenal anticipated necessarily but it was a good opportunity and sometimes things come at you like that and you need to to take them but so yeah I, I hope that um I, I mean I'm sure they are keeping a close eye on the tournament but I, I do think that while prices are likely to be inflated off the back of it sometimes you do catch you know sight of a player who who could be useful yeah, and what becomes- did you make of Belgium last night <sighs> not great played. Thomas from Ireland yeah Thomas from Ireland um yeah, I mean, they were okay, weren't they? They're were a bit laboured, I think, without De Bruyne. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was expecting a bit more from Belgium, to be honest, with, uh, you know, with the likes of De Bruyne, Lukaku. <clears throat> I mean, Lukaku's goal-scoring record is unreal. There's no two ways about it. But, I, you know, looking at him last night, you're just thinking, you know, he has these games where he just looks so clumsy. Um, and and there was a lot of that to his game last night. Uh, the two Hazard boys, of course, were were um, together. Great goal. I mean, I thought the the goal that won it was a really uh, a really good strike. I know it went right down the middle of the goal, but the swerve on it just completely wrong footed the goalkeeper, didn't it? Yeah, it was a good goal. Um, he's probably the better of the Hazards in the tournament so far. I know, obviously, Eden Hazard's world-class player absolutely but he's, mm. he doesn't seem quite there to me he, he's having um, issues with his bomb apparently i think it's not quite right. not quite not as inflated enough. as it used to be and that's okay. uh, according to yaya Toure anyway he, that's a bit of a he, problem <laughs> he could uh, go for implants you know like Nicki minaj or something um <laughs> there is always that option it's an increasingly popular Right. Cosmetic surgery. S- something to consider for either of us uh, at some point. Yeah. If, we, if we want to get into the professional game, we could uh, we could do that. Well, we yeah. spend a lot of time sat down podcasting as well. So yeah, that's true. Additional cushioning is never an issue. But yeah, I mean, um, Portugal... Mm. Mm. I, I mean, you know, Ronaldo was after his record, wasn't he, I think? And uh, was he one goal away from being the highest international goal scorer ever. It was quite funny the other day. Were we not talking last week about how we were um, impressed with some of his running f- mm. for a counter-attack, wasn't it, for one of the goals? Yeah, Germany. Yeah. Uh, the Germany game. Yeah. And last night he was just, he was immobile. Mm. As immobile as immobile. He was, you know, just not, yeah. not, moving i don't know what was wrong with him he just didn't seem to move uh, very much in the game they're quite, you know with all due respect to um our portuguese listeners i think they just have a, an overabundance of players that are very easy to dislike sure you know um, i mean as an arsenal fan you think of ronaldo straight away mm-hmm. bruno fernandes yeah you know yeah love lost there for sure pepe pepe exactly one of history's greatest monsters um, 
There are probably more. I like I it. that guy, that guy that tackled De Bruyne. I think his name is Palinha. Oh, yeah, He yeah. just has the kind of face you'd never he stop slapping with a wet foot. Yeah, guy. exactly. Exactly. He really was. Yeah, so. And then I think, obviously, you've got to think Jose Mourinho's Portuguese. Do you know what I mean? There's... Mm. There's a few red flags. I'm not trying to, you know, any of our Portuguese listeners, I apologise, but I wasn't sorry to see the back of them in this tournament. Right. So today we've got um, not England versus Germany, as I wrote about in the blog today. I got that completely wrong. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's tomorrow. tomorrow. That is. That is yep. tomorrow. Today is uh, Croatia versus Spain. Uh, no Ivan Perisic for Croatia. Um Spain found their goal-scoring touch in the last game. And uh, France versus Switzerland, which could be quite interesting. Mm, yeah, I think I think Croatia-Spain um, is a close one. I think that that's actually quite tricky to call. I think Croatia will give Spain some trouble. France-Switzerland, um, yeah, I mean... Shaka versus Pogba, the the jewel we've all been waiting for. Exactly, yeah. Or Shaka versus Kante. See him, see a man literally run rings around. Them. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I mean France obviously have huge talent in their squad, mm. sort of comparable to Belgium. I just I haven't quite been convinced by it yet. Even when they beat Portugal the other day, I'm not sure that the balance is quite. Right. Yeah, it hasn't quite clicked, has it? No. And sometimes in international football, it never really does. And it doesn't necessarily have to for them to win a tournament. You know, if they're tight at the back, mm. and, um, you know, solid through the middle of the team, they might nick it because they've got, you know, really so much quality in that front three. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting now we're into the knockouts to see if they play with any more freedom and if that understanding between Griezmann, mm. Benzema and Mbappe develops. I mean, Mbappe was the big sort of star of the tournament in theory coming into it, but he's not really caught light yet. You know, mm. I don't think he's got a goal yet in this competition. So he'll be desperate to make an impact. Just, yeah, make, his, it. make his price a bit more affordable for us, you know. It's exactly. Fair yeah. play to him. Uh, he's yeah. I hear he's he. If he looks unhappy, it's because he wishes he was at Arsenal. And yeah. He's trying to make that happen. I heard that. It's he's, sad for him actually. He's, he's being kept against his will. Yeah, he's having a difficult time because he was apparently looking for houses in North London, but he hasn't was been able it? to find any houses, and that's that's why he's also sad. You know, he probably, can he not mm. afford any of the houses mm, in North London? Probably. <laughs> Could well I be. I know how he feels. Yeah. Um, uh, what are you expecting from England tomorrow? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, England-Germany is a, a fixture that has been quite a formative one for me. I remember Euro 96 is probably the first major tournament I really mm. invested in and remembered. So, you know, all those memories of Gascoigne's near miss and Southgate's penalty miss. Um, I was in South Africa in 2010, I think it was, when uh, Ozil took Gareth Barry apart and... Um, mm. You know, Frank Lampard scored the goal that was disallowed, but it went over the line. Uh, nah, so, you know, nah, I was there that never, never even went over the line, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm due a bit of luck. But if you look at the history of this fixture, mm. if you go back further to, you know, Italia 90, um, the Germans tend to do okay. But 
England are very fortunate. They're playing a lot of games, in theory, at Wembley Stadium. If mm. they go all the way to the final, I think I'm right in saying they'll play seven of eight games at Wembley. Right. That seems an absurd advantage. Um, and really, if they're ever going to progress deep into a competition, if you look at their half of the draw, mm. this might be it. And, I, I, and as good as Germany have looked at on occasions, I mean, they were very good against Portugal, somewhat less good against Hungary. I don't think this is a German side quite of the calibre of some of the previous ones. Which yeah, I agree. Famous last words. There. No, I know. I know what you're saying, but I do agree. I think, you know, from what you've seen from Germany so far in this tournament, I don't think anybody should be overly worried about them. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, I guess it's whether or not England can... I mean, winning 1-0 is pretty effective, I guess, if you can keep doing it. But I just wonder if England can... I don't know. Handbrake on. It really feels handbrake on. There was a great interview. Did you see? um, Were you watching ICV last night when Mark Pugach, who is an Arsenal fan, I believe, said to Gareth Southgate, they had a live link up. He said, Gareth, um, so what are we going to see from England in the next round? Do you think, in the words of Arsene Wenger, uh, it's time to take the handbrake off? (laughs) And Gareth Southgate was like, so. So what do you what do you mean by that? <laughs> he just had no sense of the expression. Oh come on. How could yeah. he not? I mean that's ridiculous. How could he not know what that means even if even if you'd never heard it before? If someone applied it to a football setting, you must know what it means. I think there may have been a bit of evasion mm. going on. I think he slightly bristles at the idea Southgate that that's what he needs to do because you know, from what we hear, the England setup are convinced that actually the key to tournament success is kind of being solid and mm. not conceding goals. Um, I mean, there's some logic in that, in fairness, but, you know. Yeah, and in fairness, you know, they haven't conceded a lot of big chances in this tournament and, you know, they are pretty solid defensively. If they're going to produce stuff in attack and if they're going to be inspiring and exciting, obviously, I'm really hoping Bukayo Saka retains his place. Doesn't look like he will, though, does it? From what the chatter is, it seems like Mount is coming back and Foden will come back, which is, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, a a bit disappointing. Yeah, I think that would be disappointing because I think, I think you, I think you could go with one of Mount or Foden, to be honest. Mm. Um, Or I think he can, he won't, but he could play Mount as a kind of proper central midfield player and and Mm. squeeze in an extra attacker. But I I don't think he'll do that. That's Mm. for sure. I still hold a li- out a little bit of hope for Bukayo, but I don't know. I mean, hopefully he'll be involved in some way. It's a massive fixture. I mean, I saw an interview with him saying it's probably the biggest game of his career to date. And as much as Arsenal fans, we might uh, resist that idea in terms of eyes on him, mm. that probably will be true. Yeah, particularly um, as he sort of, um, I won't say came to prominence, you know, because we know as Arsenal fans how good he is. But I think for for the wider football world who maybe haven't been paying too much attention to Arsenal because we finished eighth and who maybe aren't that inclined to watch Arsenal at the moment because we're not that entertaining anyway. Uh, You know, if Arsenal are on the telly as a neutral, are you going to watch it? Because we don't score a lot of goals, so we're not that exciting to watch. You know, you might just think, okay, he's the best player in a bad team, so what? That doesn't make him that great. But I think what he did the other night for England made a lot of people sit up and take notice. So I I do see what you mean there, yeah. What, what it is about Saka, I think, when he steps up to 
any level. You know, when he came into the first team, when he comes into the international mm. team, he just makes so few bad decisions. For a player so young, uh, you know, obviously he has some fantastic attributes. He's got skill, he's got power, he's got uh, speed. Mm. But it's his decision-making, I think, that's most impressive. His composure... Um, his courage with the ball, hmm. the way he looks forward all the time, the way he just makes the right decision time and time again. I think it's kind of, it's a very different type of thing, but you do see that in young players. Like Sesk had it as well. You know, even at, maybe even more so to be honest, even at like 17, he played in a way that a mature player would play. Hmm. And I think Saka has a little of that. Um, and, and, you know, whatever happens in this tournament for him, the fact that against uh, the Czech Republic, he was being selected ahead of, you know, people like Jane Sancho, who's worth 100 million euros or whatever it mm. might be. That's pretty incredible. And um, I think he has kind of made an impact on the wider public consciousness for better and worse. Yeah. OK, let's do a few minutes of transfer talk before we get into questions in part two. And you Go did on, a big man. piece. In the Athletic this morning, James mm-hmm. Madison not likely to happen because of mm-hmm. uh, the money that's involved. Um, a few names that have cropped up in this particular one: Ben White still ongoing, Lokonga still ongoing deals. I suppose that we we expect to get done. Are those the two that yeah, appear to be closest? I think that's fair to say. I mm. mean, certainly there's a lot of confidence from the people involved that agreements will be reached. Mm. Uh, I think it's. You know, on the ben, in the Ben White situation, it's kind of about what money gets paid when. when and yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the figure is going to end up being around fifty million with Lakonga. Again, I think it's about bridging quite a small gap to Anderlecht. I think the player is mm. pretty determined to join Arsenal. Um, so I, I would say that I'm really confident on. There was a report this morning, I think it was in Sport Witness, it comes from one of the Belgian newspapers, they do good stuff at rounding up, you know, all the stories that appear in in local newspapers, local newspapers, but, you know, in in various international uh, editions, and Lokonga is not expected to join up with Anderlecht for pre-season training. That was the story that was in whatever newspaper that was, so that might suggest that something is, is pretty close there. Yeah, I don't think it's too far away. I think that it's something Arsenal are going to press on with uh, in the next week or so, mm. and hopefully they get to a resolution. I mean, um, it's such a big to-do list that I do think it's important to start, you know, ticking one or two things off. Okay, a left-back um, from Real Madrid, yeah. Miguel Gutierrez. So what, what do you know about this one? Yeah, I mean... The left-back one, and I mentioned this in the piece, there's um, there's still a decision really to be made on, on what they're going to do about it. Um, this player is a player who came to my attention as someone they have been watching and been in contact with. He broke from the sort of Castilla, you know, mm. Real Madrid B-side into the first team last season. Um, he's a left-back who can also play in midfield. Uh, some clubs, I think, quite like the idea of him as a central midfield player. So he's very technical, very uh, skilled, full player. He played about half a dozen times for Madrid in La Liga last season, towards the end of the season. Mm. Um, but his situation at Madrid is a little bit complicated because 
they have got two other left backs Furlon Mendy who yeah. uh, I think had a pretty good season last season if he had a few injury problems and then they've got Marcello or Marcello I'm not sure what it is who uh, has 12 months to go on his deal and a lot of people thought he'd be allowed to leave because he's into his 30s now and not quite the force he was but um, Florentino Perez recently came out and said he's going to be Real Madrid captain next year uh, and you don't find wow. a lot of left backs like this guy so uh, this young lad, whose name I've clean forgotten at this point, is Miguel it, uh, Gutierrez. Gutierrez, that's right, has um, some interest from clubs, some permanently, some as a possible loan. He's got a €40 million Euro release clause in his contract, but I, I don't think there's much realistic prospect of Arsenal paying that. Um, mm. I, I think that would be a hell of a lot of money to spend on a backup left-back, but then they seem to be spending a hell of a lot of money, as I'm sure we'll mm. come on to shortly. Um but yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, uh, you know, he obviously fits the profile. He's 19. Um, you know, they've, they've done the Tierney contract, but I think part of protecting the asset that is Kieran Tierney is ensuring we have someone who can provide proper cover and, mm. and proper competition. Um, I saw another name on the left-back today from Fabrizio Romano about a Portuguese left-back. He tweeted it out last night that Arsenal are also following, also in touch with... Um, Nuno Tavares is his name, mm. um, asking price around kind of 15 to 17 million euros. Again, I think he sounds like he's in the right kind of ballpark of the profile as well. I think someone who's about, you know, 19, 20 mm. could come in, play some cup games, um, you know, be an alternative to Tierney, develop under him, is probably what we should be doing with that yeah. position. I think so, but it's also complicated because, you know, how do you attract a player of sufficient yeah. quality when they they look at, you know, they'll see Kieran Tierney and understand that he is going to be the first choice left back at Arsenal. And like Absolutely, having yeah. a competitive environment is, you know, it's all well and good, but it's like being, you know, if Arsenal want to sign you as a striker and they've got Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp. You know what I mean? You know that realistically, the only time you're going to play is uh, in maybe some cup games or if they're injured. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it is a difficult one, I think. And then you you question whether or not a player who is willing to come and just sit there behind someone like Kieran Tierney is the player that you want. So I, I recognise that we need Tierney cover, and it is something that we have to sort out one way or the other. But I, I genuinely think it's one of the more complicated signings that that yeah. you know we have to sort out. I think it is. I think Arsenal, from what I understand this summer, they're trying to pull together a group of players that they think can be part of the project, if mm. you forgive the slightly wanky term, for like the next five or so years. I yeah. think they they genuinely want to get people in who are kind of, you know, around that kind of early 20s age um, and that they think will be kind of good contributing squad members over that period mm. and I, I agree that there is a challenge there to to convince someone that this is the right place for them and there's a clear route to the first team if they're coming in at left back but I also think the sell that they'll make to players and that they have been making to players is much more about come and be part of this group the you know, future, there will yeah. be an egalitarian exactly there will be a kind of meritocratic selection um, you know we need 20 good players mm. Um, we want you to be part of that. 
And it, and it, if we make progress and we're in Europe next season, there's more football, et cetera, et cetera, more well, room exactly. for rotation and all that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah. And, and in the case of someone like Gutierrez, I mean, yes, he would have Tierney in front of him at Arsenal, but like I say, uh, Madrid, he's got two guys there. So, mm. it, but, but you know, he might then say, well, I'll go somewhere I'm going to be immediate first choice. I, yeah. I can see that. I mean, one of the names that's sort of been thrown around by supporters certainly as a possibility is someone like Patrick Van Anholt, right? Oh, Who yeah. has been released from Crystal Palace mm. and is free and is about 30. And you could get him on a short-term deal, ask him, you know, to stay in London, um, which he would probably quite like, having been at Chelsea and Palace previously. H- how would you weigh a kind of mm. 20 million euro investment in a 19-year-old versus a two-year deal for Patrick Van Anhalt. Yeah, I guess it all comes down to how much you can how much you can spend, uh, where you need to spend it. Like, Van Anhalt would be profoundly um, meh, wouldn't it? I mean, as a signing, just like, mm. ugh, we've done this. Even though, you know, you can see logic to that kind of a signing. You it's, can a see, it's a bit Cedric-y. It's a bit cedric It was a bit Ryan Bertrandy, and, you know, nobody's particularly into that kind of a deal anymore. Um, but maybe there is something to be said for bringing in a young player, spending some money and, and, and letting them grow and develop and all that kind of stuff. I think people would be more into that kind of signing than the, the sort of sensible, um, easy option like a Van Anholt or, or whatever, you know? Yeah, and I think everything I hear suggests that's what Arsenal would like to do. Mm. They'd like to bring in a young guy who could be part of the future. Okay. Um, We'll see. We'll uh, yeah. see. There was another guy mentioned the wonderfully named Mert Mulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> could he be beaming in? Or Yeah, I, I think, um, well, I actually watched this player sort of unwittingly uh, play in the final Turkish group game against Switzerland. And he played as a left, kind of wing back that day okay but he's actually more of a right-sided defender um very quick plays for Sassuolo who from what I understand um are are quite a good sort of analog for the way Arsenal would like to play they sort of play a lot of you know quite attractive possession football Mm. we don't always do that but I think that's what we're aiming for uh he's 22 odd um had some good interest from teams like at Atalanta Mm. um a couple of other Serie A teams that escaped my mind just now. And, yeah, I, he's an interesting one. I mean, right back again, something I've written this morning, which I think is true, is that they kind of need someone to go. They've just got so many. Mm. I mean, Bellerin, uh, Cedric, Chambers, and if you want to count Maitland-Niles, which I guess you have to, um, Maitland-Niles. And I think Arsenal are keen to avoid a situation like last summer where they end up with... 30 people in the squad and could only register yeah. 25 or something. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. that was a really destructive, negative thing, I think, quite early in the season. So, you know, as much as it's exi- as exciting to talk about the signings we might make, and, and, you know, this Turkish lad is someone that Arsenal have watched for a year and they do like him. Um, 
they need to sell some players. Yeah. I mean, do you... I mean, there's talk of Inter Milan being interested in Hector Bellerin. That emerged over the weekend. But they want to take him on loan with perhaps an obligation to buy. Yeah. And then they want to yeah. pay £20 a week for the next 500 years. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Are we, as a football club, or as fans of Arsenal, right, when we talk about the value of our players and we talk about, you know, the need to move players on... Do you think we need to just readjust the expectations that we have in terms of the fees we might be able to get for certain players that we think, okay, this guy's worth this much, but realistically, what money is out there? It feels to me like we are going to have to accept a lot of least worst deals, if you know what I mean. Like, none of them are particularly good, but this is the least worst one, and we have to get something done, so we're going to have to you know, accept the, uh, either a, a fee or a payment structure or whatever that isn't quite ideal, but it yeah. is the only way that we are going to be able to shift the amount of players that we need to shift or want to shift this summer. I think that's right. And it's something I'm sort of wrestling with myself because like every Arsenal fan or like a lot of Arsenal fans, when I see the amounts being bandied around for some of our players. I go, Christ, you know, that seems low, you know? Yeah. But Particularly, I, I am sorry, now thinking... Yeah, sorry, I mean, I just, it, it, it does seem low, but we're also, it looks like we're going to buy high as well. Mm, do you know what mm. I mean? But I think that, so I, I think maybe I do have to adjust my expectations about what's realistic to get for our players, just based purely on what is actually, what we're actually getting offered. Mm. Um the the other thing to say about this is that I do wonder if Arsenal's problem is that it always feels quite obvious who we want to sell. <laughs> and yeah. I do wonder how much that affects things. You know, we're paying a premium for Ben White, mm. right? But Brighton, Ben White's not for sale. Like, he's not on the transfer list. They're not trying to get rid of Ben White. Yeah. They want to hold on to Ben White. And therefore that puts them in a very strong negotiating position. And the same applies to a lot of the players Arsenal mm. are, are, are presumably interested in. And I think that one of the issues we have is that, I think partly because we have such a big squad and it means some people are kind of pushed out or sent out on loan or not registered or barely getting a game, by the time the transfer window rolls around, everyone's like, right, well, obviously they want rid of him. Mm. Therefore... We're not going to go in and pay over the odds. And when you think about like teams that sell really well, I think the reason that they sell really well is that they sell maybe slightly before you're mm. expecting. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you have a car boot sale and you're selling a lot of damaged goods, you know, and in inverted commas, damaged goods, you know what I mean, or stuff yeah. that you you don't want, you're not going to raise as much money as you might if you're you know you put out your fucking fifty two inch you know, LCD TV, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I do think, I do think it's fair as well to, to look at kind of the technical staff in the club and how they manage that. You know, do they, have they in some instances um, taken action that maybe has reduced the viability of someone on, on the transfer market by not using them or not involving them sufficiently? I think there, there may be some truth to that. But I, I just think generally... Like if we was to say, if we were to sell 
obviously we wouldn't and we shouldn't, but if we were to sell Bukayo Saka or Kieran Tierney, right, mm. a player that we actually want and like, we'd be in a hell of a good negotiating position. Of course. We'd be fending off offers, you know, probably above their market value. But the fact is, we're trying to sell a load of old shit that everyone knows we don't want. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that right? That is right. That is right. That is the position that we're in because of the way the squad has been built and managed over the last number of years. You know, and there are all kinds of factors and all kinds of people that you can point fingers at. So there's no need to sort of go into the nuts and bolts of it. But that is the reality is that we are dealing with um, many players whose contracts are iffy or players who haven't quite made it or players who, you know, for one reason or another, everyone knows we no longer want. Therefore... How do you drive a hard bargain for that kind yeah. of a player, you know? So I, I genuinely think that when it comes to selling players, we're going to have to bite the bullet. And I, I guess it'll be one of those situations when, whenever someone is sold, there'll be criticism of, well, that's too low. Look at what this guy went for. Look how much they got for him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But... Surely we're going to have to let go of that. Yeah, surely the important part is is doing the business. Do you know what I mean? And then you build a squad whereby, um, you know, if people want to come and buy your players, they're going to have to pay top dollar for them. You know, you're yeah. not you're not bloated with players that you don't want or aren't good enough or don't fit or whatever it is, or are in weak contractual positions. Yeah, yeah all these things. I mean, the other thing is that practically. I think the way that transfers work mm. affects the price that is paid. So how can I put it? If you've got pl- a player that you want to sell and you say to that player, you're available to go, mm. go and find yourself a club, then the conversations that are happening there are basically the player finds an agreement with a club and then it's in everyone's interest for the fee the club pays to be as low as possible. Mm. Like, you know, if I'm, I don't know, if I'm Joe Smith's agent and I'm told Joe Smith's for sale, and so I go and strike a deal with Bolton, right, or whoever it might yeah. be, you know, at that point I go back to Arsenal and I'm saying, well, I'm going to Bolton. You told me to find a club and it's Bolton. Mm. And Bolton are like, we've only got five million quid. Like, you put yourself in a slightly tricky position. Sure. I understand, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think we're seeing that a bit with Granit Xhaka in that he seems to be of the mind, there were some quotes coming out from over the weekend about the beauty of the city of Rome and all that. He seems to be of a mind to join Roma. Mm. And, and, and when you know you've got the player, then... Yeah, why do you... You, you don't have yeah. to go crazy with the bid because you know, you kind of have the feeling that sooner or later you'll get your man because, you know, this player's got... effect. I mean... Technically, it's illegal, but effectively, you've yeah. got an agreement with the club already. And in some instances with Arsenal, they're very happy for that to be the case. Someone like Matteo Guendouzi, it's very clear the door is closed for him. So if he's like, well, I've got myself a deal with Marseille, Marseille aren't going to batter the door down with a £30 million bid because mm. they feel they've got the player. And it works both ways. I mean, it probably explains why Arsenal aren't, you know, rushing to Anderlecht with loads of money for for Lukonga because they feel they've got the player. But I just think when you mm. put people on the outskirts of your squad and when it's sort of their responsibility or their prerogative almost to find a destination, then once they've found that destination, it's not incumbent on the buying club to go way above the odds. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that's that is the reality of of the transfer market and how it's going to work for a lot of players that Arsenal want to get rid of. You know, yeah. Because- so, so somehow we need to kind of to avoid this happening. I think there are several things we need. We probably need a leaner squad. Mm-hmm. We probably need a squad that's more. I don't know, equitable maybe, you know, that has a bit more balance across it so that everyone has a kind of value. And uh, and, and then we probably need to sell players. Uh, and I know this is a drum <laughs> Elliot Smith has banged many times on Arsenal Vision Podcast, but we probably need to sell players sooner at a point when it's uncomfortable. Um, that's how you extract real value, mm. unfortunately. Look, that is what Mikel Arteta and Edu and Dicky Garlic are going to have to deal with this summer. That is the reality of our situation. You know, there's no escaping it uh, until such time as you can build a squad which is better and more um, robust and, I guess, in some ways valuable. You know what I mean? In terms of w- where they are in the transfer market. Ideally, you want a squad of 20-odd players that you do not want to let go. But that is, yeah. that's not the situation that Arsenal are in. We're... we're we're trying to to reshape a squad. You know, we basically paid players to go away. It was so bad last January. You know what I mean? This is this is what we're having to do. Um, so this is why there's an extra element to this whole rebuild thing. You know, the the um, the football side of it and and how the the business we do this summer influences what we do on the pitch is key. Of course, it is. But also, you know, we we have to. Um, we have to put ourselves in a position where we have some strength in negotiation when it comes to to players. And I guess it comes down to quality of players as much as anything. Yeah. Good players will always be valuable and good players will always be coveted. Yeah, these are, in most cases that we're trying to sell, fringe players in an underachieving team. Mm. And I guess the market is never quite going to be there, yeah. you know, in quite the same way for, for those guys. If we just finished third mm. I think it would maybe be slightly different there'd be a bit of cachet attached yeah, to some of these guys of course of course but there just isn't and I think while we can talk about this in the long term as something that needs to be fixed I think it's still you know maybe we will have to kind of um cut our losses a bit this summer mm. it just feels like that doesn't it I mean you know there haven't really been bids that are close to acceptable for the vast majority of the players Arsenal want to sell this summer. And that is a, that is a problem. Mm. Yeah, you need, <laughs> yeah, you need people to be interested. That's yeah. also part of it as well. So, okay, well, look, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out and, you know, what we, what we generate in terms of income from players that we sell will be useful, of course, but I do think perhaps we need to readjust quite how much we might bring in. Uh, okay, let's leave it there for now. We're going to do questions and more in part two, which is coming up yep. right after this. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog and also on the, uh, what's it called? Discord chat server, which you get access to if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, okay, I think I want to go first, if that's all go right. Um, I should have been prepared to get the question. If uh, you want to go first, Andrew, you've got to be ready. Yeah, I know. Um, okay, let me see. I do have it here. Okay, it comes from, I think maybe we had a couple on this one, but this one definitely comes from, uh, this is terrible, isn't it? Okay, it comes from James R., who's at James RR04, who says, please try to convince me that Ramsdale wouldn't be anything less than a poor signing, and Joseph... Parastatidis, I think is how you say it. He's at Joe underscore Paris, says, what does it say that I'm more excited at the prospect of signing a keeper who can't play until the end of the year than Ramsdale? (laughs) Yeah, I think on the face of it, um, it does feel a curious one. It is absolutely true that Arsenal want to buy Aaron Ramsdale and they have uh, commenced talks with Sheffield United about that. I don't think, if you really don't want Arsenal to buy Aaron Ramsdale, I think there is hope for you in that Sheffield United value him uh, enormously and they have, I think, Saudi Arabian owners who uh, are not keen to lose him. So I don't think it's by any stretch a given that he will sign. I think that I do understand absolutely why people are kind of up in arms about it. I do think he's a little bit harshly judged, Aaron Ramsdale, because he went into Sheffield United last year. They'd had Dean Henderson on loan from mm. Manu, and they'd had a really good defence the previous year, didn't concede many goals, and everyone put all the Sheffield United defenders in their fantasy teams. And then in the first few months of the season, mm. they conceded lots of goals. Yeah. Um, and I think he actually did struggle in that period. From what I saw, I think he had a sort of a bad spell. But... Whenever you're interested in a player, I do always think it's worth talking to the fans of that club because at the end of the season, he was voted player of the season by those fans, which given the start he had, I think shows how well he did in the second half of the season, albeit in a very specific job for a relegation fighting team. Is it just because he was like the busiest though, because they were so terrible and he was having to do a lot? I think that, I think obviously that helps. Like <laughs> the goalies look good, don't they? In yeah. bad teams sometimes. He was also player of the season the previous year at Bournemouth. Mm. Um, so, I, and I think you know the reason that people, if it was five million quid, I think everyone would go, "Oh, that's sort of fine," you know. Because mm. I, I think if you think about it, you've got to have three goalkeepers in your squad, and you're only allowed seventeen non-homegrown players. So it does seem, I think, crazy 
to have, you know, three foreign goalkeepers out of your 17. That seems like mm. a bad allocation of resource. So you do need a homegrown... Well, you don't need, need a homegrown goalkeeper, but I think I can understand why Arsenal want to do it. They obviously wanted to do David Raya. They bid, like, a, a lot of times for David Raya last summer. Mm. You know, like, you know a lot of times and it didn't happen he then got promoted which meant his relegation release clause was his release clause his release clause was invalid and so now they've turned to Ramsdale Um, and and he will be expensive if he comes he'll be more than £20 million for sure and it's because he's English basically and but I mean is that not Arsenal spending £20 million on a backup goalkeeper or do they see him as a potential number one I mean there's another aspect to this yeah I mean so this is now I'm now talking about kind of my opinion Mm. but I don't think Bern Leno will be at Arsenal in 12 months or in 14 months shall we say right I I agree with that I, I think Bern Leno you know there are no talks about a new contract Something's not quite right, I think, in the relationship there. I don't think the degree of trust in him is what it was. Um, And I'm not sure how, you know, I I think he probably feels similarly. I think he's, you know, he's not in a hurry to sign a new deal. Mm. So I think in 12 months time, Arsenal will have two new goalkeepers. That's, I really Mm. firmly believe that. And I think Arsenal see Ramsdale as being one of those two. And I think that they, I think that they want it to be competitive. I re, I, I think that they, it seems crazy, right? Having sold Emmy Martinez and, um, you know, brought in Renosson and then Matt Ryan. But I think they seem to have decided that they want a model more akin to what United have and Chelsea have, where they have two goalkeepers they trust. So when you say, do they see him as a first team player? I think they must you don't spend £20 million on someone who you don't think is capable of that. So what are, what are crazy. They, what are they seeing that basically nobody else is then? Well, I suppose what I think is that a lot of the Ramsdale thing is perception. Like, it's not true that no one else has been interested in him. Tottenham tried quite hard to buy him last summer. Um. I just think he's really suffered perception, but he's in the England squad. Mm. I mean, he's not a joke. I, I, I do think it's a curious one where, I don't know. I, I, I think he's, not, he's probably not worth £25 million because he's English. He's mm. probably got an extra £10 million on his price tag. Yeah. But ultimately, Arsenal were going to pay £15 million or more for David Raya, who's never played a Premier League game. And... In Ramsdale, they get a guy who's got a 10-year career ahead of him who's played two full Premier League seasons. Like, if Bern Leno does get injured mm. in the first half of next season, you've got a guy coming in who's played 60 Premier League games. Uh, I you, think that mm, that's useful. Do you think... I mean, you say it, if it was £5 million, nobody would care, mm. really. Or, I mean, they might think, OK, we could have found a better goalkeeper, but, you know, for £5 million, it's not really a big issue. The, the the price tag is, and obviously 
it's a lot of money to spend on a player who's going to probably sit on the bench for most of the season behind Bernd Leno, assuming Bernd mm. Leno is going to be here next season. And, you know, Arsenal spending £25 million on a goalkeeper uh, or £20 million on a goalkeeper this summer might suggest that there could be something happening there. But do we worry too much about what we're spending? Do you think, or, well, you know... I mean, to be honest, Arsenal's interest in Ramsdale is the main thing that makes me think there must be money. I mean... But where do you stand on that? Like, okay, do, you know, should we be so concerned with how much money Arsenal spend? You know, I don't want to say we have an obsession with value. I don't mean it like that. But I think we have or, or do look at every deal to the nth degree and think, okay... Is this good value? Is this the best way we can mm. allocate resources? Like, if we spend twenty million on Ramsdale, but we also go out and spend fifty million on centre half, fifty million on a, a an attacking midfielder, twenty million on a central midfielder, maybe another twenty odd million on another central midfielder, you know, it becomes part of a, a bigger splurge, if you like. Mm. Is that something we should be concerned about, or, or, you know? If you're looking for the club to spend some fucking money, they're spending some fucking money. Is that not okay? I mean, the the question, yeah. the other side of that is like, it's not free money. It does have to no. be repaid no. somewhere. So, you know, it it it's is not a, our money either. I no, guess, no, true. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. It, it's sort of, um, yeah. I mean, listen, there are some fans who will be really concerned about where this money is coming from. Is it? Alone, I mean, the answer is almost certainly yes. You know, mm. it's not magic. Um, what are the terms of that loan? To be fair, probably not that punishing, given what borrowing is like at the moment. But yeah, there'll be some people who'll be worried about the accumulated debt. I, I think, yeah, it's a really, really, really fascinating one. I mean, I don't think Arsenal are buying Ramsdale at, tw- at 20, whatever it is, 2025, 20, thinking we're going to sell him for 50 and get a huge profit. Mm. I think that's quite unlikely. I think probably what they're thinking is, we've got a problem at number two goalkeeper. We have not been able to fix that. Um, this is a guy who could, at worst, do that job for 10 years. Mm. And I think when you think about it in those terms, it's like, well, you know, every penny we spent on Runnison was a complete bust. Like, mm. it was not a lot of pennies, but it was a complete bust. Uh, if you've got someone who can actually contribute as a squad member for a prolonged period of time, then you probably will reflect on that as worthwhile. Yeah. But but I do see the argument. I mean, like, you know, the other way to do it is to go the kind of Richard Wright, you know, model and I don't mean when Arsenal bought him for six million. I mean for Man City picking him up when he's like thirty-eight on a free because <laughs> he's homegrown and he's experienced. And that's yeah. the other thing Arsenal could do. I mean, if you're looking for a homegrown goalkeeper, the list isn't long, um, and you sort of have a choice: do you go for someone who's in their thirties, on the way down, kind of tried and tested, or do you go for someone who is young, hungry? Mm wants to be a part of the future. And and it feels like Arsenal have made the latter decision. Yeah. Um, 
And people can debate that. I, I mean, if it was my money, I'd probably go with the experienced option in that case. I think that's a smart thing to do for your backup goalie. Get in an old guy who's a safe pair of hands, if you mm. pardon the pun. But I feel like there's sort of almost been like a kind of cultural decision of like, that's not what we want to do this summer. Um, hence, you know, not pursuing Ryan Bertrand and things like that. Mm. But it's... What do you think? I think it's a lot of money on a very underwhelming player who I recognize is still only, what, 23, something like that. So mm-hmm. he's got plenty of time to develop um, and improve. Goalkeepers, as we know, tend to be at their best in their sort of, as, the, as they mature. Um, but I can't help feel that this one is just... I just wonder what that 25 million might do elsewhere this summer. And, and I don't mean to say that because we're spending that 25 million, we're not going to do some of the other stuff that we need to do or, or what have you. I just, I don't quite understand it. That's all as a, as a, if it's a backup goalkeeper, it's a, it's a huge amount of money. It's basically more than you spent on Bernd Leno, who, yeah. who was brought in to be your number one. So I'm a little puzzled as to what the plan is if they're buying Aaron Ramsdale to be the number one, I think it's a huge leap of faith, a massive gamble uh, on a player who, you know, has, has, hasn't been that convincing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do know kind of like um, a couple of the things they like about him, which I guess people will be looking for. What is the silver lining here? Yeah. Uh, what, I think one of the things they like about him is that he comes off his line. He comes off his line to close people down. He comes off his line to take crosses. Mm. Um, and there's a feeling that Leno doesn't do that enough. Um, and that whatever goalkeepers they have in the future, they want that to be a part of their game. Mm. And I think they also think he is better with his feet than Leno, uh, which is probably accurate. He's a, he's he's all right with his feet. He's pretty good. Um, but I agree. It's a lot of money. I think it's very, uh, what's the word? A huge leap of faith is absolutely right. Mm. I mean, that you know, ultimately they're seeing potential in a player that we as fans, or collectively as fans, based on, you know, certainly my social media timelines, don't see. Mm. And so that's on them. And I, and I think in a way it's kind of like a, you know, you could say the same of Ben White. I mean, Ben White is obviously a, a quality player. I think there's less debate about that, but it's still a big allocation of resource mm. to an area that fans aren't convinced it should be allocated to, you know? Um, and it's a big statement from the manager yeah, and from the technical director. So we'll have to see. I mean, like I said at the top, I'm a little bit dubious about if this one happens just because I think Sheffield United might dig their heels in and if so, Arsenal may be forced to turn elsewhere um, and maybe some people won't consider that the worst thing. Time Mm. will tell. He's with England at the moment. So as with White, there's kind of not huge time pressure to do it. I I kind of feel like the likelihood is these things get finally sorted maybe once the tournament or once England's participation is over. Mm, Okay. Um, Can I ask another one? Because I've got one that's slightly 
in line with something yeah. you just said there. And it comes from Keon's best mate on the Discord. And he says, Good morning. Is the resale model many of us think Arsenal should get back to, where we sign young players, they play well for a few years, and we sell them for a huge profit, viable for Arsenal in a world where only our English rivals have the money to buy big players off us? Could the Ben I White? I think that's a brilliant question. Yeah, and he says, then could the Ben White signing be a sign of the club recognizing this, looking for value through length of service rather than sell on? Well, I would argue the Ben White signing potentially offers you both. Mm. I mean, if Ben White is brilliant for Arsenal for three years, then mm. maybe Manchester City do come knocking, you know, but with a, a crazy sum of money. I mean, it is a problem. Who can we sell to? Like, if we develop mm. a player in Europe, on the continent, how many clubs are there that can give us the money that we would deem right? Yeah, it's true. I PSG? Mean, PSG. The Spanish clubs? Well, they used Barca to be. They, I mean, Barca, yeah, depending on what they do with the, the sort of debts that they've accrued over the last number of years and their desperation to be in the Super League tells you that, you know... Um, they've got financial problems. So it's no longer a case that Barcelona are going to come along and pay you, you know, 15, 20 million pounds for, for Alex Song, for example. You know, that's not going to happen anymore, uh, which is yeah. a shame because we fleeced those fuckers for all kinds of We did. Money. We did well out. <laughs> but, but yeah. It's a really good point. Like, yeah. who can we sell players to? And the answer is probably, like, Man U, Chelsea, Man City. Yeah. Um, Aston Villa. A- Aston Villa, of course, yeah. But I think um, there's something to that. I mean, ultimately, as much as English players are overpriced, and they definitely are, they do offer two things. One is longevity of service, often, as Mm. alluded to in the question. The other is that they pretty much retain that premium if you sell them to another English club. Yeah. Because homegrown players are so desirable... And because I think English clubs ultimately like having English players, you know, they want that kind of core, I think, uh, sometimes. And I think we might be seeing a bit of that happening at Arsenal too. If you think about Chambers, British players, we say Chambers holding Tierney, you know, they want to add White, they want to add Ramsdale, they've got Saka and Smithrow. Yeah. I, I think Arteta, you know, seem, or Edu, somebody seemingly seems to think that's a good idea. But also those players, they do retain value. I mean, listen... We all know I overestimated Eddie Nketiah's transfer value, but he will still go for more than he would if he were not English. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that that feels part of the strategy too, to bring in players who who do offer those two things, longevity, but also who retain that kind of premium on mm. their services, potentially. I mean, if you know, if Ben White explodes... Uh, and does really well, Mm. you know, he's worth silly money because he's English. Yeah. Uh, And if, I'm dubious about whether this would happen, but if Aaron Ramsdale gets a run in the Arsenal team and impresses, he's probably worth more, as mad as that may seem, because Jordan Pickford, who's had one good season at Sunderland, went for 35 million or whatever it was, yeah. And so, this is the crazy world of English players in the transfer market, but I think... I know people will feel like, oh, Arsenal shouldn't be playing that game. We should be playing the Leicester game. 
And I think there is a lot to that. I feel a bit like that too. But on the other hand, I can see that that certainly someone like White represents a kind of stable mm. investment in a way. Mm. I, and he's 20... I mean, I saw another thing, by the way, I touched on in my piece today was I've had a lot of fans sort of saying, you know, Varane's going to go for less than White. But Varane's going to earn three times... At least. At least. I mean, the the figures in the Spanish press are saying 400k a week. Yeah. And I I do think that as much as the transfer fee for Ben White looks huge, his salary, in terms of like the uptake it would take from Mm. where he was at Brighton, Arsenal can double his money and he'll be on a modest salary in big six terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you sign him on a five-year deal, the difference in the investment, you know, the total cost of that player over five years is huge. You know, we're talking tens and tens of yeah. millions. I don't think so, any Arsenal fan can get upset about not signing Varane because there's yeah. literally no way that Varane would sign for us anyway. At the no, moment. And, you know and, what I mean? And, and So, for example, you know, I think a lot of people's objection to, to Ramsdale is going to be, well, what about Andre Anana? Uh, who, you know, seemingly is available at a knockdown price. But I would say, and anyone who listens to the show regularly will know, I've always been kind of lukewarm on that story. Um, and part of the reason is that while there are certainly people close to Anana who say, yeah, Arsenal is one of his options, there are other people very connected to the situation, very well informed, who say, why would he go to Arsenal? He's going to have Barcelona, Madrid, mm. Inter Milan, Europe's biggest, best teams after him especially yeah. if he waits till he's a free transfer and the ban is over and I have to say I don't I take no pleasure in saying this because I'm an Arsenal fan as you know I love Arsenal but this transfer window more than any other transfer window in my time covering the club I've heard about players who've had a whiff of interest from Arsenal and said why would I go there and it's the first time genuinely that I've really encountered that. Mm. And I and I think that's something we have to reckon with. swallow yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and and a lot of it is like, well, they don't have European football. Mm. A lot of it is that. And they don't have, which obviously Champions League was bad enough in itself, but no European football at all. But, you know, if you're faced with joining one of England's top four teams or Arsenal, it's not really... I mean, we are not the we are not the most attractive option top no. players have this summer. That's no. just the reality. Uh, and don't get me wrong, we are still attractive. We're in London, we're mm. in Premier League. We pay very well. Um, Mikel Arteta, whatever people may think, has a very good reputation in football, and people are excited to work with him. We saw Kieran Tierney's comments in the week about working with him and how much he enjoys it. I think a lot of players have that impression too. But our standing in football mm. is not what it was. Um, yeah. You know, PSG, for example, right? They've just bought that boy, or about to buy that boy, Hakimi. Brilliant right back, come from Inter. This mm. probably opened the door maybe for Bellerin. That's a player Arsenal really, really liked for a long time. Watched, followed, were interested in. But when he came to move this summer... We weren't a realistic destination. And 
I mean, of course, going up against PSG is always difficult. And I'm, and I'm not saying Arsenal pursued it with any aggression. They didn't really, because there wasn't really a deal to be done. And there, and there are other players like that who I think aspirationally we would have thought, oh yeah, he'd be good. Mm. But it's just not realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, I hate I hate saying it. And it's you know when we had Wenger, well, a I guess we always had the Champions League. If you move to Arsenal, it's like guaranteed Champions League football. We also had the huge pulling power of that particular manager. But um, this summer. We don't have that to the same extent. No. And so if we are going for guys who feel a little bit underwhelming, a little bit earlier in their careers, who want to take the next step, but you know maybe haven't got the interest right at the very top of the game, I think that probably reflects where we are. I couldn't agree more. Really yeah. couldn't. We are, we are, what's that great tweet? We're, <clears throat> we're reaping what we've sowed. You know what I mean? But there's that great tweet, isn't there? Me reaping. Ha, ha, ha. This is great. So <laughs> what the fuck? Or no, sowing on the reaping thing. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it catches up with you mm. eventually. Yeah. You can only kind of uh, rest on your laurels so long. Mm. And Arsenal are kind of at the start of a project here now. And, you know, they're, they're trying to buy people who they think want to be and can be part of that project for the next five years. Yeah. In a way, I prefer it certainly to getting someone who's on the way down. You know, we've done too much of that. Yeah, that is That's for, sure. for sure. That is for sure. Okay, I think it's a um, question. Yeah. Uh, let me have a look. I've got a question here, but I want to answer it, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I like ask this, it by then. the way. Ask it. Proud yeah. Guna, by the way, yeah. said, now that Bakaya Yaka is a new... Bukayo Saka is the new England golden boy. Can we expect multiple penalties and preferential treatment from English refs next season? Yeah, I like that one too, yeah. Um, Yeah, fingers crossed. What about this from Klaus Faust? Does Ben White's ability to play right back and defensive midfield change how you view the needs in those positions? Is this the one that you wanted to answer or is that a different one? No, no, no. This is... I don't care about this question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it... I could be wrong, but it feels like they're buying Ben White to be a centre-half, not to be a defensive midfielder or a right-back. For sure. I think so, yeah. Um, I think so. I do, you know, I do wonder if there is some margin for uh, versatility next season Um when we think about how the squad is constructed, if we do want a leaner squad, will versatility mm. be a valuable asset for certain players in the sense mm. that, like, if you have to, uh, could you play Ben White in midfield or could you play him at right back in certain games? I guess you don't want to in the sense that, like, I think one of the one of the interesting things for me about the rebuild is quite what we're going to do at centre-half and in defence in general because I feel like as a club we haven't had the kind of consistency across a back four that you would ideally like to have. You know Mm. what I mean? Like Mm. we don't have a central defensive partnership you know, that's established. 
And no. I really think that that is something that you need. I know the modern game is different and players come in and out, but in certain areas of the pitch, if you have a consistency there, it's really beneficial. You know, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about the Thomas the City squad, yeah. but they had Diaz and Stones. You know? Yeah, if you're talking about like we need to get a partner for Thomas Partey, which I think is a good idea, somebody who can play alongside him consistently. I think that's great, but that should also apply to centre half. So I do think that if Ben White comes in, he will play centre half, and that is that is the reality. So I don't I think do it too. changes what I think we need to do in other positions. Still think we need I those signings. Yeah. I do wonder as well. Well, I mean, people get in a real twist over like back three, back four. And then ultimately when Arsenal actually play, it's the shapes aren't that different. Mm. You know, they build up with two or three at the back. I just think it's interesting. You know, the Euros is quite a sort of three at the back tournament. There's a lot of that system around at the moment and a lot of people making use of it. Mm. I, I, I wonder if... I don't think it'll be like the de facto formation for Arsenal next season, but I think it. Um, I think we. I wonder if we might see it here and there. Just a sort of feeling. Mm. Like ben White, you know, is very comfortable in that role, and um, I think it might be an option. But who knows? Let me ask you this one, um, yeah. and then you can, in the meantime, send me the question that you want to answer, and I'll ask it as oh, if okay. it's just I'll cropped see. up, and I'll go. Oh, is that the question? Anyway, okay. uh, Niall O'Connor on the Discord says, surely Martinelli missing the Olympics will be good for us, but what do you make of Saliba and Gabriel both potentially going good or bad? And then to sort of widen that out, we have another one here from, let me see, I should get my fucking glasses on, uh, Gavrilo Bianchi, who says, what are your thoughts on Saliba's international duty at the Olympics? Seems like a lose-lose situation for him. His best chance to make it in the team is is to impress during preseason, but at the same time, I can't imagine passing up a chance to play internationally is another loan, the unavoidable outcome. And I think one of the things that we've overlooked, perhaps, is the presence of Gabriel at the Olympics, meaning that, um, you know, he could miss, potentially could miss the start of the, the season. It depends on what kind of fitness regime and physical regime you know he is being given this summer because i think it's no longer a case that players go away out of sight out of mind and then they come back i think there's much more uh ongoing communication isn't there between players and fitness um coaches and that kind of stuff so if he is away with the brazil team for the olympics it's not like he's gonna be um unfit coming back to arsenal he could come back and just sort of slot in I guess yeah I think for Saliba I was temp I'm tempted to say it's a bit of a disaster for him I, I, but then ultimately I'm not sure how much it really would have mattered I think Ben White coming in is probably indicative of what will happen with Saliba mm. and I'm not sure a couple of weeks at London Colney would have substantially changed that and I'm not sure he is the type to hang around for that decision anyway. Um, mm. I wouldn't be that surprised if something gets agreed in advance for him to go on loan. Um, Saliba, yeah. yeah. I don't think it augurs well for him. I mean, it, it's a... 
it's one of those where, like, I don't think any footballer really dreams of going to play at the Olympics. I don't think that's the the be-all and end-all when you're uh, becoming a professional footballer. But I can understand why, if you were called up, he would want to go. Arsenal haven't stood in the way of Gabriel, who you would argue is a more important first-team fixture than William Saliba, right? So they haven't stood in his way, um, even though they could. They could easily say, no, Gabriel, you're not being released for the Olympics. So it depends how you look at it. Like, are Arsenal letting Saliba go because they don't view him as uh, an important player? And that may well be the case, but the same applies to Gabriel. Um, They're not going to tell him no. Um, Could Saliba say, no, I don't want to go because I want to fight for my place at Arsenal? But if he's been given no encouragement that... You know, he's going to be given a chance at Arsenal. Um, why wouldn't he go and play in the Olympics? So it's a it's a mm. weird situation, I think. It is an odd one. I think it's good that Martinelli's not going, I think. Um, mm. We want him around. We want him part of stuff. Yeah, when I, when I saw Saliba being called up, I just sort of thought, that's that for mm. him for this season at yeah. Arsenal. And I, and I do mean that for this season. I, I don't think it's kind of completely irrevocable. I, I, I do think... He's young enough. I mean, we kind of forget how young he is, like how much career he has ahead of him. But yeah, I, I, you know, equally, how, how much he'll want to spend that with Arsenal after everything that's gone on, mm. I don't know. Um, Where would you like to see him go on loan if he does go on loan? I'd again? love to see him in the Premier League. Yeah, I really would. There's been some suggestion Newcastle are interested. Mm. They did a lovely job with Joe Willow. <laughs> um, I would love to see him in the Premier League. Why not? Mm. Then we'll get a proper look at him. It's probably the best thing for his transfer value as well. Yeah, you I know? think so. I think so. Speaking of transfers, a breaking news story. I don't know if you've seen no? in the last couple of minutes. Uh, Arsenal have rejected a second Aston Villa offer for Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, Why are they coming back? With a proposal of around thirty million pounds. Why are they coming back? Well, obviously, they're going to sell Grealish. That seems yes, and and that makes some some sense of the aggression with which they pursued Buendia and now mm. Smith Rowe, right? Yeah, it does. But again, Arsenal have to get this sorted out with Smith Rowe. If he's not for sale at thirty million, I get it. But maybe he's for sale at forty million or forty. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I'm not saying I want that to happen, by the way. I think we should resist all bids and we should sign him to a new contract ASAP. But there's obviously enough encouragement for Villa to come back. Our no I, wasn't I, I no enough. Something? Yeah, tell me something, please. I'm, I'm honestly, and people are going to gasp and say famous last words, I'm honestly not that worried about this one because it's so beneficial to Emil Smith-Rowe for this to be going on. Mm. If I'm that agent, I'm encouraging it to. You're loving because, it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, <laughs> they're in talks at the moment, kind of loose talks about a new contract. And obviously, I think this is accelerating that process. But, you know, if I'm able to walk in and say, I've got 100 yeah. a week on the table here from Villa, then, wow, that makes my job a lot easier. And, and I really believe that, A, Arsenal... No, they can't sell Emil Smith Rowe because if they haven't got Martin Odegaard and they haven't got Emmy Buendia mm. and James Madison is, I think, you know, not really serious interest at the moment. 
Emma Smith Rowe is one of the most important players in the squad <laughs> yeah. because, and so he he's going to want to be rewarded with a salary that reflects that. Arsenal are going to say, "You're a young player, you know. We want to, you know, invest in you, but you know, you're not at kind of star level yet." So it's a negotiation, and I I think I, I think Arsenal will refuse to sell Smith Rowe, um, and I think Smith Rowe. And his family will probably want him to stay with Arsenal. I, I do actually believe that. Yeah. Maybe I'm naive, given what we said about the pulling power of the club. I mean, here's a question. Is there an amount Villa could hit that would change your mind? I mean, every player has a price, but I just think... for me, they're going to get 100 million quid for Grealish. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I think what... <laughs> What it would say, do you remember when the, in that famous, infamous, rather, summer of 2011, mm. when Arsene Wenger said of Samir Nasri and, and Cesc Fabregas, how can you say you're a big club if you sell your best players? I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember the exact quote. Yeah. What would it say about Arsenal if, regardless of the amount of money that was on offer from Villa... And regardless of how you could say, well, we can take that money and we can reinvest it. What does it say about you as a club? We could get Ramsdale for that money, Andrew. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> could get three Ramsdales, maybe. Think before you speak. Uh, you know, what does it say about your, you as a club, the stature that you're trying to rebuild if you're selling one of the brightest talents to come out of your academy in years to, with all due respect, Aston Villa, not Man City, not Man United, not Chelsea. You know, I actually agree. I th- Listen, I'm normally the guy who's like, if the money gets crazy, you've got to sell. And I think that is probably like if someone's like his 60 million quid from Will Smith wrote. If it's someone, yes. Aston Villa, no. Yeah, I like don't know how you can rebuild your reputation. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Like if Man City came in tomorrow and offered 75 million pounds for a Will Smith wrote, how can you turn it down? Really? How can you? You're not but competing with Man City. I know what you City. mean, though. Like, this, this summer, to this club, it would feel... Oh, like wave the white flag. in the face. Wave the white flag. You know? I, I, yeah, it, it is... I use the word, I think, about it unpalatable. I think that's right. Mm. I think Arsenal can't sell Emil Smith-Rowe to Aston Villa. No. And that's partly why I feel confident. I just think they can't do it. Even if they would like to. You can't do it. I think they it. must know they can't. Yeah, they can't. Even if it gets to the point where Arteta <laughs> and Edu are like, we could really do something with this. I just think they can't. No. No, pitchforks at the ready, if that were to happen, you know? Just what I would say about the, 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 the club itself. And like I said, no matter how you tried to justify it, no matter what you said um, you could do with that money, it would just say too much about about the way you run. So I can't see it. Okay, here's a question. It comes from Stephen Allen, who's at Gooner underscore 9798. And he says, or asks rather, why do transfers take so long? If we really mean business, why can't we just pay the asking price and get everyone ready for the title challenge next year? Beautifully optimistic um, finale to that question. So I have a, a, a sort of answer to this, I think, that's quite interesting, which is why I've met, forced you to ask me. 
previous iterations of Arsenal, the people doing the deals had a degree of freedom and flexibility. Mm. So Dick Law, your friend of mine, used to be able to... He was given parameters, basically, Mm. within which to negotiate. And the trust from the chief executive and the board to him to do that and Arsene was implicit. Mm -hmm. I think, given that he was the head of football and a very high executive level, Rouse and Yehi had a degree of that freedom too. The guy doing the talking now is Richard Garlick, principally. He is the person who rings up a club, rings up his opposite number, be that a technical director or chief executive, and says, let's talk, and who submits an offer and who receives the feedback. But between every stage of that, between every offer he puts out, between every salary offer he puts together, he has to go back to the board Mm. and feed that back and get get an approved bid. So there's more, if you want to call it red tape slash bureaucracy, or another way of putting it might be oversight. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And it does make things a bit slower. But we wanted it, didn't we? Mm. Well, that's, yeah, I mean... And and I think, you know, you could, there's loads of reasons that could be. I mean, Richard Garlick's brand new. So it's probably inevitable that there's like a degree of, well, do keep us in the loop about what you're doing. Mm. But, you know, the the Arsenal board or or the Arsenal hierarchy, let's say, I don't know if every board member happens to be there, are convening a couple of times a week, at least. The WhatsApp group, James, the WhatsApp group. The WhatsApp group, yeah, sure. Um, I'm sure they've got Zoom and stuff to, you know, say, all right, well, our bid for Ben White's been rejected. We want to put this one in. Mm. And and listen, it, it 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 makes things slightly protracted, but at least it means there's an element of kind of control. Mm. And personally, I think that's a good thing. Mm. Okay, that's not the only reason transfers take a long time. The other reason is it's negotiation. You don't want to seem too interested because then people think you'll just pay any money. Mm. Um, there's not necessarily a rush. People feel like the window is long. I think that's a slightly misguided belief. But, you know, there are lots of reasons. But I happen to know that in Arsenal's case this summer, you know, they are having to sort of get these things approved. And I think given everything that's gone on, it's probably good. Okay. Here's another question. It comes from... Thanks for asking that question. Yeah, no problem. I'm Great good, choice. Good answer. Uh, feckin' hell. I actually need to go quite soon. So, so let's... Um, Okay. Let's make this near the end. Okay. No, I think we've been going long enough. So here's one final question to do it. Feckin' Hell on the Discord says, Good morning, lads. Between five-a-side with his mates and backflips into the pool, watching Aubameyang on holidays is nerve-wracking, but he does seem to have got his sense of joy back. Do you think this is what was missing last season, and will we see a a 20-plus goal season from him next year? I hope so. I'm interested by all this summer stuff. I mean, everyone's working hard this summer if they're not at a tournament, it seems. Yeah, like, uh, on my Instagram yesterday, I've seen Aubameyang doing his stuff. I've seen Reese Nelson and Joe Willock basically with gigantic rubber bands around them on holidays in Mykonos doing their running and what have you. I saw Elneny jumping up and down on a squishy ball type thing. 
doing lots yeah. of you know you know how you know a footballer is working hard I'll do yeah. it for you lots of little tiny steps like this <laughs> that's how you know they're working hard they're going like from one side yeah. to the other side so that's how it's, you know it, yeah and like Aubameyang seems to be having a kick around mm. I mean I sort of wonder if that's a contravention of his contract yeah we've talked about assumes, that but hey yeah I don't know but um I hope he's got his joie de vivre back, as it were. Mm. I, I haven't given up hope that that could happen. You know, I know he's an older guy now. I know about age curves and declines and all those things. But I, I wonder if there's still something there. That we better hope there is. Yeah. No, I, I tend to agree. I think last season was uh, an unfortunate cocktail of... You know, many things. A bit of a which had an impact. Storm, I think, yeah, exactly. The team didn't create a lot. He got injuries for the first time in a while. He had malaria. There was personal issues off the field, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, it looks like he is doing his best to kind of rediscover that that kind of um, happiness he has when he's playing football. And, you know, he can only do so much. I think it's worth pointing out as well that he can be as up for it and fit and ready and athletic and all of that. We have to make chances for him. We have to mm. create, you know, and that comes back to what we need to do in the transfer market. But look, if he can come back with the batteries fully recharged, ready to go, wipe the slate clean, turn over a new leaf and all those other things that you can talk about, I think, I think it will be good for us. Yeah, fingers crossed. I, you know, we need we need him. We, we do. need something like the old Ober. We do, we do. Okay, right. You go now. Thank you. No problem. Um, I'm actually going to go and have a COVID test, believe it or not. So Can you not do it yourself? <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't trust me for this one. The nurse comes and does it. All right, okay. But, um, There's resistance. There's resistance. Stop. I know, she pushes up. I'm like, please stop. And she just keeps going. It goes okay. in the brain. Explains a lot, in fairness. But there you it go. It does. It explains a lot. All right. Well, uh, look, we'll be back, though. We will. Uh, anon. Anon. We'll be back uh, at some point. We'll do some stuff uh, during the week as well. Hopefully for Patreon members. Got something coming for you this week. Regular Arsecast on Friday. As always, thank you for being here, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.